This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. I'm back. Greg's back. It's the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles, episode number 34. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review. We're also brought to you by betonline.ag. Well, the season is over, Greg. Finally, we made it to the finish line. I actually think the end of the finish line was kind of fun. The last half of football that we saw was at least productive and entertaining to watch. Yep. But what could be taken away from the finale against the Jets, you think? Uh not a whole lot. Um, but look in general. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I thought, uh, I mean the first half, uh, certainly there was some, well, not at the end of the first half, but for the most part in the game, they played decent defense. Uh, they opened things up a little bit more in offense in the second half. Uh, the jets who are missing, you know, a lot of key regulars, uh, it seemed like on defense when I was looking at guys who were trying to make plays and whatnot, I, I was like, who the hell is that guy? But I thought I thought even Cam played well in the second half. In the second half, I had him for seven-plus plays, two minus plays. Um, wow. First half was 3-4. Um, so that was some of the best ball that Cam's played all season. And I think you saw that uh, on the field, on television. Uh, he looked like he was having fun. <clears throat> to me, it looked like a sort of Bill Belichick sort of uh, parting gift game where it was, you know, he did a little bit of everything in that game. And uh, he, he was certainly having fun. Um, you know, some of my big takeaways from the game, I thought, uh, I thought Sony Michelle played really well, especially yeah. in the second half. Uh, I think he definitely solidified himself as far as, you know, look, he's he, he's going to be a backup. Damian Harris is sort of the number one guy on this team. But, you know, it's a it's a 1A, 1C type of thing, I would say, uh, going forward. If Sony's still here, I mean, if they if the Patriots can get uh, anything back for him in a trade, maybe they move him and they go with, uh, you know, maybe a draft running back or something like that. Um, I thought outside oh, – Owenu was pretty good in this game, but I thought, you know, outside of that, some of the replacements were a bit shaky. I don't know how you felt about it, Nick, but I thought, I thought Jacoby Myers, uh, it was another guy who solidified a spot on next year's team to me. I just think, I just think he's a really good football player. I think that he, he, he makes plays, he gets open. He's really come a long way in his route running. There were a couple very subtle, really nice routes where he's selling the route. He gets... He understands the concept of the offense and what they're trying to do. I also see a lot of frustration with him on some of his deeper routes where, you know, better quarterback probably sees that he's open and, and gets him the ball. But I, I thought he came uh, a long ways. I'm not going to look too much into the tight ends, even though, you know, look, Devin Asiasi showed a heartbeat um, and that's great. Uh, I thought Chase Winovich played outstanding in this game. I still think, and I think this is the, this is a point for a larger discussion. I wonder what his role is on this team going forward. And uh, you know, I thought J.C. Jackson played really well uh, at cornerback, and Miles Bryant did not at safety. Uh, but undrafted kid, what are you going to do? I like that he was out there trying. I like how they have trust in him. So I do think he's a he's a piece for that secondary moving forward. Obviously, it's got to be a lot better than Sunday. There are a lot of you know blown coverages, blown understanding of the defense. Uh, he wasn't the only one, 
And, you know, so those are sort of the things that I, I took away a, a few solidifications of roles uh, going in the next year, or at least knowing that these guys are going to be part of uh, the solution going forward, hopefully. And, uh, you know, other than that, I think a bunch of guys sort of tread water. Yeah, I think Bryant had one drive in particular. It was really a rough drive for him. Really, really rough <laughs> drive for him. But other than that, you know, as you said, kind of a sink or swim moment. They're at least showing some trust in the young man. A couple of takeaways for me. First of all, I loved the offensive game plan. And I, I don't know if it's because they were playing against the Jets. I have no idea what happened. But all of a sudden, we saw both the running backs in the passing game used a lot more than we had, especially James White. And I don't know if that was in similar fashion, as you said, about Cam. Of course, White's a free agent. I don't know if that was a tip of the cap to James White. Maybe his last game as a Patriot, get him the football a little bit more, get him a touchdown. But they used the running backs in the passing game more, and they used the tight ends more. So that was one of the things that jumped out at me, the way that they – handled the passing game seemed to be a little bit different than what we had seen this season, pretty much throughout the entirety. Yeah. Nick, I think, I think that's a good point. I do think, I do think it had something to do with the jets. The Jets played this really soft zone, almost yeah. all of the game and the flats were wide open. So, you know, I, it was good that cam actually like, you know, got to those check downs and realized, Hey, those guys are there and they can get me some extra uh, easy yardage. Um, and I'll take it a step further, Nick. I almost fell out of my chair that the Patriots come out on defense and they have five guys along the line of scrimmage, including a whole three defensive linemen <laughs> and eight guys in the box. Could you imagine? Like, I know. I mean, is it so? Are you telling me that the only time you feel comfortable uh, sort of pressing the issue in the running game is is it against the Jets in a meaningless season finale? I mean, that's. You know, I don't know if the, the defensive coordinators were asleep at the switch a lot of the second half of the season and they just woke up or or what they're trying to trying to tell me. But, uh, yeah, I thought, look, and, and we'll, we'll call it both ways. I mean, whether in McDaniels on offense, Belichick on defense, I thought they they loosened up a little bit. And I do think I think something about that could be taken going forward where, you know, maybe – you know, we talk a lot about personnel and we do talk about some about scheme, but, you know, maybe just relax a little bit and just, you know, roll the dice a little bit and, and, and just, you know, don't, everything doesn't need to be so buttoned up right? and it doesn't have to be always so assignment sure and all this stuff. And sometimes, yeah, you're going to get bust, but you know what? You're also going to make big plays sometimes. And, and so, uh, and I thought that went for the offense and the defense. So, you know, maybe that's something that could be taken going forward also. The other part of this game that jumped out at me, and you kind of mentioned this about Cam having fun and all of that, and I tweeted on Sunday about Cam. And two thoughts. Number one, dude played hard. And yep. not just on Sunday, but every single game, every single week that he was in there, he played his tail off. He didn't play great. But he played hard. He wasn't good. He wasn't fun to watch uh, 97% of the year. But he put the work in, and he played hard. And we saw that. You know, meaningless game. We see what happened with Philly on Sunday night, which was a joke. Yep. You've, got a, you've got a meaningless game against the Jets, a terrible team. And there's Cam. He could have packed it in. And there he is playing hard. There he is diving on third down for first downs when he's running the football. 
Uh, there was one in particular when he rushes for the first down in the fourth quarter, I think he slides down and he's on his back and he kind of does a little jig. Like you could yeah. tell he was having fun. And I think it was a release for him. And I think it was a release for the entire team. This was a terrible year. It was tough to get through the COVID circumstances, everything. When you roll it into one, it was a stressful year, like for a lot of us, right? In our jobs. And I think Cam showed that. And I think the Patriots showed that. The second thing I would say, and it jumps right off of what I just mentioned about Cam, it sucks that he wasn't good this year. Because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, Greg, when I walked in, and this is not to say that he was good, because as I just said, he wasn't good at all. He stunk for most of the season. But I think Cam did accomplish one thing. And I think the thing that he accomplished was he opened a lot of people's eyes in this area that he was a different person than they thought he was. And I was just, I was thinking about this on Sunday. I said, man, imagine if Cam played well this year, he would have had new England eating out of his hands, The, the, the media appearances, the charisma, the personality, how he embraces and enjoys the game. You know, that's why, you know, Felgrim as they never got it about the Superman. People never got it when he celebrates. It wasn't look at me, look at this dude literally loves what he does. And every time he scores, every time he makes a play, he embraces it, enjoys it and has fun. And I just said to myself on Sunday and I tweeted this out. It just sucks that he wasn't good this year because I just think of the opportunity and I think of the possibilities we would have had with this fan base and this quarterback If he could have played just above average, I think this city would have fallen head over heels for Cam, and he would have been here for the next five, six, seven years. Yeah, I I think that's an excellent point by you, Nick. I think that, you know, we talked a lot about Cam, you know, coming into this um, in in training camp and things like that. And, you know, we talked about, you know, a lot of people were making a ton of, you know, a big deal about Cam's energy and, and, and all that stuff. And, and my point is, like, I don't really give a crap about energy if he doesn't play well. And, um, you know, I think that's sort of played out. But, you know, I, I do think you're right about, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully Cam's uh, tenure here. And, look, I think it's going to come to an end. We can talk about, you know, the, the, the Schefter report and stuff like that and, and, you know, but the guts of it was true. Like, basically, where they are, and I don't think they've had sort of the talk, and I don't even know if they need to have the talk, but it's basically, you know, look, they had a really great experience, um, you know, away from the field um, together. Cam was unbelievable behind the scenes. We talked about it all year, how his leadership just blew people away um, inside the building. They loved him. They loved what he represented. Um, he definitely fit the culture here in terms of being about winning. You know, it just didn't work on the field. And I don't, and, and, and over the course of time, I think people inside that building came to, re- to the realization that it's not going to work. And even he could get a little bit better, say, you know, because Cam was talking about, you know, not being in here for a full camp and all that stuff. And, and, and on some of it, he's right. I just don't – I don't think – and I think people – around the team came to the realization over time that look, this is really not gonna mesh because, because of what the quarterback has to do. Like you can say, all right, we're going to build it around cam and what he does well. And we're going to do this and that. But the truth of the matter is uh, there are certain things in this offense and they're designed to, 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 to do certain things like route adjustments and, 
and, and option routes and things like that. Because really, the scheme is set up as long as you're, you know, somewhat smart and you have an underst- and you can understand the entire scope of the offense. Not everybody can do that, but as long as you do that, the the offense has the answers built into it. Right, and you don't look. Tom Brady, tell you the truth, Tom Brady was not one of the highest wonderlick scores ever at the quarterback position. He actually wasn't even that high for a quarterback. I think he was in the mid twenties. And normally, quarterbacks are well over thirty, sometime in the forties. And but the thing with Cam is he just he never got the. First of all, he wasn't accurate enough. Second of all. He he never got the he never got the concept and I you weren't here last week but I but I talked to her play with Tom and Quincy last week um, where you know the Patriots had trips right they had Devin Asiasi to the right and Cam ended up throwing in traffic to Devin Asiasi almost got picked off on the right where he had a route he he had routes built in on the left that would have been open or if he wanted Devin Asiasi Tom Brady would have faked left opened up a window so that yeah. pass to the right was open. Yep. Cam was never going to get that. And it's not that hard. Um, it's just something he's not going to do. So he's never going to be a fit for this offense. Now, do I think that at the end of the day, if the Patriots say the Patriots do get a draft drafted quarterback uh, and they they don't really find a veteran that they like, could they, and Cam doesn't find a team and maybe he wants to sit for a while and, uh, you know, mentor or maybe play a little bit and, and look for, you know, maybe somebody's injured and the Patriots will be willing to trade him, something like that. Yeah, that could happen, but I just don't think it's going to happen. But I do think, coming back to your point, um, I think he, I think he opened up a lot of, a lot of eyes inside the building. I hope it opened up a lot of eyes to fans that like, look, you may see things on the red zone, you may see things on Sports Center or NFL Network or whatever, or your, your phone, wherever people are getting their highlights is now. I don't even know. But, you know, that's only that's only so much. So, like, you know, cut people a little bit of a break um, and don't write them off, you know, because people can surprise you. And I think Cam surprised people. And, and you talking about how tough the season was and, and, and how it seemed like they cut loose in this game just reminded me that, like, you know, just imagine if imagine if Cam wasn't the quarterback, and sort of his attitude and all this, and like you know, I, I'm trying. I can't think of a player, a quarterback, but somebody say who really takes every every loss hard and starts lashing out and things like that. Like yeah. the, he Cam easily could have done that. And talk about a miserable experience. People would have been. This team probably would have went about you know four and twelve if that was the case. So I give Cam a lot of credit for the way he handled things. It's so interesting that you bring that up because that's exactly what I was going to say off of what we're talking about with Cam and his leadership. You do wonder, you know, in the alternate universe, if Cam's not here and it's Stidham and things go really bad, really early. Yeah. Imagine if things go really bad, really early and you put Stidham in that spot to have that responsibility to replace Brady. I mean, this thing could have gone completely off the rails and turned into something even worse, you know, on the field, on the field, listen, it wasn't a good product. You and I know that we, we know that they were in the middle class. We talked about that since, I don't know, a week four or five, that this team is, it's not a bottom feeder. It's not a contender. It's not a playoff team. It's somewhere in the middle. And imagine if you didn't have cam and his leadership, this thing could have looked even worse because off the field, 
off the field, aside from Belichick actually saying some things that made people angry off the field, these players and how they handled their responsibilities, you couldn't ask more of them. So just imagine if Cam wasn't the guy, wasn't the leader, and you had somebody else and it didn't work out and you finished three and 13 and Hey, who knows, right? Who knows what Cam did, the impact he had on some of the younger guys that looked at Cam and said, oh, he's handling this the right way. Think about all the younger players on this roster. And I know they've got plenty of veterans and they've got leaders in that locker room. So I don't want to make too much of Cam being the guy and, you know, the only voice and the, and the one that everybody follows, but he's the quarterback. And the quarterback is the face of the team. The quarterback is the guy that asks, you know, all the players the most. And he's the one that gets asked the most questions from the media. And if you had somebody at top right underneath Belichick, who, as you said, took everything personal, was just angry at the situation, (laughs) angry at everything like that might have led to some of these guys checking out by week 13 or 14. And that's when you start to build a bad culture. That's when you start to build a team that is full of dudes that, you know, hey, if we're not seven and two to start the season, I might start questioning what the hell's going on here. So I do think there, there needs to be a lot said regarding what Cam brought off the field. Not to say that he played well on the field, and at the end of the day, it's about wins and losses. But what he did this year might actually help this team more in the long term than people want to acknowledge and give credit for. And as a matter of fact, I'd say this uh, before we move on to some other things, Greg. Going into Sunday's game, you know, I was talking to my buddy. I was sitting out at, at my bar on the deck with a friend of mine on Friday watching Notre Dame get killed. Oh, that must have been nice. Yeah, yeah. Sounds uh, nice. Sorry. Jerk. But it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that warm. We had heaters out there, okay? It was about, better than here. Yeah, it's better than here. <laughs> but so I was, I was on the deck uh, hanging out with some friends on New Year's Day uh, waiting for the impending smashing that Alabama did to my Irish, which I fully expected. And then Oof. Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly crying afterwards was my favorite <laughs> Um, just awful, ridiculous. But anyway, uh, and I was talking to my buddy, my buddy's a Jets fan. He's from the Bronx. And I said, man, I hope you, I hope you guys, I hope the Jets beat the Pats on Sunday. And he's like, he just started laughing. He's like, yeah, we, he's like, really the Jets have nothing to gain if they win. And you really don't lose much if you lose. So this might be the only time in our friendship that you could say that. And it makes sense. That's how I felt on Friday, watching the game Sunday. I felt different. You want to know why? because I saw how hard those guys were playing and I saw how Cam approached it. And I saw the fun that even the coaching staff was having on the sidelines with the players. And I said, you know what? No, that's yet. They might've been able to slide up to the 12th, 11th pick, whatever it was, but this was their going away party of a terrible season. And it, 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 it almost meant more to watch those guys kind of have that release and finally have a moment during the dread that was this year, it was almost worth it to just sit back and go, nah, you know what? It it was, it was fun to watch that second half. It was fun to watch those guys enjoy themselves and finally have that moment and cam walking off the field. Hey, it was a bad season, but he had one of his best games. He won by a couple of touchdowns and he's able to walk off the field and say, yeah, it didn't go the way I wanted it to, but at least we ended it pretty damn good. Oh, I I don't think there's any uh, I don't think there's any question about that. I thought, um, you know, I, I thought <clears throat> there was a lot of fun being played. And I think um, <clears throat> I, I could tell you. <clears throat> sorry about that. I could tell you that there's um, not pride, but uh, trust me that how the Patriots handled things and how the Eagles handled things at the end of the year. 
yeah. um, was definitely noted by a lot of people around the NFL uh, that that I've talked to um, in the past couple of days. And and there's something to be said for that. And, and it's something to be said for, you know, uh, you people out there who wanted the Patriots to lose and wanted them to tank and do this and that. Like, you just, you can't do that. Like, trust me. Going forward, if they keep Doug Peterson a coach, and I don't, I don't know if that's a hundred percent. Yeah, it was reported that before the season finale, and maybe they keep him on because Lurie and uh, Howie Roseman told Peterson to do what he did the other night uh, with Sudfeld, uh, so they'll give him some cover. But that is no way to build a football program. Bless yeah. you. Uh, that is, you, you, like, there is so much. They are never going to be able to trust Doug Peterson ever again. So if it's if he's not fired after this year, he's going to be fired after next year. Like you yeah. just cannot do that when you like it's it's fine in fantasy football and whatever you you know like to play and gambling and things like that. But like when you're actually in charge of men who literally put their health on the line every time the ball was snapped, and you're playing effing games for three draft spots, like people get pissed off and. I don't know how Peterson and Howie Roseman come back from that. I really don't. They better win big and win big early, early next year, because as soon as things start to go bad, they're going to start looking and saying, like, well, they're going to start playing for draft pick status and stuff like that. So, you know, and I know I didn't I didn't have any I, – I didn't have anything to worry about with Bill Belichick in this regard because out of anybody ever in the NFL, he gets it. But uh, – you know, there's a certain way you have to play football. And um, I guess Jared Stidham would have been that bad. And, and I think we talked about it before that the people I've talked to, they worried about the effect on the locker room. If they did put Stidham out there at the end of the season, I would have liked to have le- at least let him play a little bit more um, towards the end just to get a little bit more data. But apparently they have all they need, and and uh, that means he's not going to be around all that much or have much of a role going forward at least. Yeah, two quick points about the Eagles before we move on. Uh, first of all, I was just kind of thinking back, and I talked about this on my show that I do during the daytime here, and you know, I, I mentioned and we actually played a little bit of the sound yesterday of Jason Kelsey just a few weeks ago, yep. that impassioned speech when he's just telling everybody, no, that's not what we do. Like, players don't tank – you know, it doesn't matter about draft position. Not one player is going to turn around and look at young players. Yeah. Yep. And Mm -hmm. so he has that impassioned speech and he's one of the leaders of that team. And then just a few weeks later, his head coach does what he did on Sunday night. It's, it's dumbfounding. It's a slap in the face actually to Kelsey and other veterans who felt that exact same way. And I said that exact thing yesterday on my show. And then this morning uh, there was a report by, I think it's what Jeff McClain who says, you know, there were several players and coaches that were shocked and outraged by the move Peterson made on Sunday night. So you've been telling your team all year long, it's about winning. It's about winning. You bench Carson Wentz. It's about winning. It's about winning. And then in the fourth quarter of the final game, all of a sudden you pull the rug out from underneath Jalen hurts and the rest of your players. I don't know how you go back into that locker room and look everybody in the eye and say, it's about winning because what you just did, it's, it's going to be very tough to do. We've got like two or three more quick things to hit, but first uh, let's talk about betonline.ag. Yeah, you guys are ready for some football because you're listening to a football podcast. Super uh, wild we have card called- weekend, by the way. Yes. How, how, yes. What do you feel about that? Super wild card weekend. You buying in? 
Uh, I don't want to ever hear the term super wild card anything on, <laughs> on this podcast, <laughs> um, but I'm excited about triple headers. I am. And I'm, and truth be told, I'm excited for the Patriots not to be involved in it. Like just, I, I, it's nice to be a fan once in a while where I can just sit back and actually watch all the games and yeah. talk crap on Twitter and try to fend off Bill's mafia and things like that. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Uh, college football heads into the, uh, they had the bowl championship coming up. We have two triple headers in the NFL. I think, I think something just moved just saying that out loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but and there there is only one place that has you covered and one place we trust betonline.ag sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code clns50 for 50 percent off welcome bonus uh i was just looking through the lines on those games nick uh real quick quickie read because we'll probably talk about this a little bit more in depth because now this freezes up to talk a little bit more about the nfl but you got the Bills are favored by six and a half over the Colts. I think that's come down. I think that's a large for a good defensive team in the Colts. I think that's a large number. I know the Bills. The Bills are red hot right now. They're buzzsaw. Doesn't usually translate to the to the postseason, but we'll see. You have uh, the Seahawks are favored by four and a half over the Rams. I don't know if the Seahawks can protect that well against Aaron Donald and Co. I I, I think that's a large number. I think the the Bucks are favored by nine at Washington. I think that's a little bit of a large number because look, if if they were playing the Patriots, if Tom Brady was playing, if the Patriots were playing the Redskins, you'd know. All right, well, if they're just going to take care of Chase Young. You're barely going to hear him all game. Is Bruce Arians going to do that? I don't know. So that I think that pass rushes. Don't sleep on that D line in Washington. I'm not yes, you, I don't. I'm not telling you they're going to beat the Bucks, but that front, that defensive front could end up giving Brady some nightmares, at least in the first half. I mean, they, they've got to figure out something to do, as you said, with Arians, you know, scheming it up because that D line is talented and they could get after Brady a little bit. And as we know, we've seen it in new England, we've seen it in Tampa yep. this year, you know, Brady, when he starts getting hit and this is with every quarterback, but especially yep. Brady up the middle of that protection, if they can get some of that rush early on, it, it could get interesting in the first half, at least. No, I, I I totally agree. I mean, the the Redskins should be their goal should be like we are going to smack Tom Brady at some time on the first drive somehow because you you do that you get him sped up then you have a chance. I you would hope that the Bucks would do a little bit more max protecting which they have done this year. So we'll have to see. The Ravens are favored by three and a half over the Titans. Uh, that I think that's going to be a nail biter. Uh, you have the Saints ten and a half over the Bears. I don't know how much I trust the Saints in the postseason to cover that. And then you have the Steelers favored by four and a half over the Browns. Uh, I don't know. I think that's a large number, too. I think a lot of those lines are large, but we'll have to see. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports books experts. All right, so I got two things that I want to cover here. I yep. got a few minutes left. The first thing on the top of the line that you sent the notes, Belichick and the off season, will he face reality or keep lying to himself? Yeah. So this is related to the column that I wrote on BSJ and just, and, and related to somewhat to what, you know, Belichick's been saying, whether it's, you know, 
to to the media, to WEI, to Sirius and Charlie Weiss and people like that. And now he, he again he reiterated, you know, we sold out. And yeah. then now he put it now on uh, the other day he put a timeline on it where he's like 2014 to 2018. Then oh no, but really 2019 too. We totally <laughs> sold out in 2019. And you're just like oh, okay, look, I understand you went out and you tried to get Antonio Brown, and I understand you went out and got Mohamed Sanu. And both of those blew up in your face. And, but, um, Bill, we need to talk about like how you actually got to that point that you needed to do that. And also, can we talk about if you asked Tom Brady in Tampa if he thought that you sold out on offense, basically at any point during that run, uh, I think he'd say, uh, hell no. And especially in 2018 and 2019, I think it's part of the reason why he's not here because all of a sudden Tom Brady shows up in training camp would slap a doodles at wide receiver and no tight ends. And, you know, Gronk retires and they don't do anything at tight end. Gronk still retired and they don't do anything at tight end. And he said, screw that. I'm not, I'm not going through this anymore because Bill's not going to get me any weapons for 2020. And guess what? He didn't get any weapons. Um, they, you know, other than tagging the the left guard for $15 million and, and, for what end? I mean, if they don't sign him to a contract extension, what was the freaking point of burning that? I mean, look, you didn't even have to use it on Marcus Mariota or a tight end or wide receiver, even though that would have been nice. And they probably would have been a hell of a lot more competitive. But, um, you know, at least if, if Joe Tooney is not on this team next year and you cancel out Joe Tooney signing with somebody else and you don't get a comp pick, then you just burn $15 million for nothing. It's like, it's like twice as bad as the Antonio Brown deal. So whatever. Yeah, I have issues with that. But uh, my whole point was, does, does Belichick really mean what he's saying to us um, with all this garbage? Or is he being real behind the scenes and he understands what's going on? And the people that I've talked to in the past couple of days, Nick, have led me to feel that Belichick is being a realist behind the scenes. And people could say like, oh, well, He's always done that. He's always said different things to the media. And look at 2009, do your job. He was telling people like, you know, Randy Moss and Wes Welker, this is how you defend us and we're going to do this and that. Well, first of all, he never really changed how they were defended. He didn't really add any pieces. But second of all, and third, second of all, um, you know, that if Bill was so proactive and, and faced reality so well, they wouldn't have gone down this rabbit hole um, in the past couple of years, they would have gotten on the quarterback train. They would have gotten on the tight end train. They would have figured out something at wide receiver. And they did none of those things over the past four or five years. And, and so, but I, Nick, I am hearing that Bill understands what's going on. I think from what I understand, I think they, I think he is, I think he's come to re the realization that he has to invest in the offense that he has to invest invest in the skill positions. And that, um, you know, as a whole, he's got to do better with the draft. They have to have better checks and balances. And, and also, they need to get more just football players. That they've – probably my biggest issue, and this is related to the younger guys on this team, they're just getting too many guys who can do one thing well. And, if, and, and, and you're putting a lot of eggs in that one – skill like for example let's use Jawan Williams um 
you know, they drafted him basically to cover tight ends. He was long, gives them a different matchup type guy. You know, we were playing a lot of tight ends that year, blah, blah, blah. Oh, awesome. You know, guess what? He's not a good football player, you know, and, <laughs> and he's not a cornerback and he's not a safety. So now, now guess what? You don't have a spot for him. You don't have a role for him. And so stop looking for special skills. And just go get football players. I mean, the the the. But do you think? Let me back, jump in for a second. Let me jump yep. in because I got a question. So, do you think that's part of what Belichick's talking about from 2014 to 19? Is the fact that maybe he he says to himself, "Listen, we had a team, and yep. I needed to find guys to fit certain roles to give us the best chance to win a championship that season." And so I was drafting guys with the thought in mind. Okay, this is a weakness. Let's fill the weakness with the player. And hey, you know, three years, four years from now, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm more thinking about what gives us the best chance to win a championship. Is that possibly part of what Belichick's talking about when he says selling out for Brady? Is that he was trying to find not just on offense, but he was trying to find guys to fill specific roles to give those specific teams the best chance to win? Uh, I think there's some validity to that. Uh, you know, I am look. I'm looking back. Like, let's just say, to me, uh, well, in what it, Belichick said, 14, right? Is that what he said? Yeah, I so, believe 14, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, looking, going back to those drafts, um, you know, actually, I mean, well, let's go to let's go to the draft before, because I, I want to call. I also want to call bullshit on this from Belichick about, you know, cause I do think, I do think you're right. I think that's part of what he meant, but when you actually look at it, I mean, in 2013, they drafted Jamie Collins and Jamie Collins was, he, you know, he, he started in a specialty role as sort of an edge rusher, do a little bit of that, this and that almost like Uche, but you know, he, he was a good football player that could play on all three downs because he was fast because he could run because he could jump like, and also Logan Ryan was a really good football player that could play on every down. Deron Harmon, not a great football player, but at least, you know, he could he could play deep, free deep safety on all three downs. Aaron Dobson and Josh Boyce were the quarterback uh, the the wide receivers that year and they sucked and I don't think they had any special roles. But then you go forward to 2014, Dominique Easley. Are you all right, you were looking for a three technique pass rusher like you know, why? Like with knee problems, like I, you know, so in, in Malcolm Brown, like Malcolm Brown was a draft pick that worked here for the most part. I mean, at 32 to be healthy and play all the time in the middle of the line. And he was a decent football player. He wasn't yeah. bad. He wasn't great, but he was decent. You know, he, he, he played a lot of downs, you know, as he went along in his career. And so, but then you'd get Jordan Richards who was basically drafted for special teams or who the hell knows like, you know, Trey Flowers, guess what? 2015, good football player. They ended up playing every single down for this team. And so I do think, I think you're right. I think, I think he looks at his drafts and he says, we're trying to do certain things. But the reality, again, it's Belichick's, um, Belichick's truth versus reality is that they, they succeeded because they found some, some guys who could play all the time and were good football players. And I, I think, that's where they've gone off the tracks, and and we'll talk more about this next time. But I do think there's a lot of questions about even some of the rookies on this team, like a Josh Uche. How much of an every-down role? I think Chase Winovich 
there, he played dynamite on Sunday. But I, there are a lot of questions internally about whether he's ever going to be an every down player in this scheme. And so I think, I think Bill's realistic that he needs to find, he, he, I think he realizes now he needs to get back to just finding good football players, which is really what the, the backbone of this dynasty was, was a bunch of guys on defense. Like, you know, they might've had a specialty guy here and there, but I mean, really, you know, it's Rabel and Brewski and McGinnis and Seymour and, you know, all these guys who played all the time and, and they, they didn't want to be taken off the field. You didn't want to take them off the field. And then suddenly you fast forward because, because the talent level got so low, you had to dice up everything into pieces as far as the scheme. It just went off the rails and it went too far. But I do think, Nick, I think to bring it home, I think that Belichick has a dose of reality. I, I, from what I, Patriots should breathe a little bit easier from what I'm hearing behind the scenes. And you know, hopefully that holds true and Bill doesn't revert back to form and because that's what this team needs at this point. All right, let's get to the bossofsportsjournal.com member question of the day. Check them out over at BSJ, 11 cents a day on their annual plan. Not only do you get top-notch analysis of all the Boston Pro Sports, but if you're a patch junkie, a membership at BSJ gives you access to a ton of video analysis, but Dar does on the coach's film and direct access to him in weekly chats. Uh, so this is from uh, Pangeline or Pangeline, Pangeline, Pangeline. Uh, Greg, you wrote, we'll try uh, by your own work in the first four rounds, and uh, I'll use my information more on long shots paying off. What have you heard about the history of successful picks in late rounds and the strong record with undrafted free agents? Do the scouting folks claim credit for unearthing most of these, or do they say Bill used his network to identify the majority of them? Yeah, so that was um, that was taken from my column where I basically, certain part of my column I sort of voiced, I used Belichick's voice on uh, all right, th- this is what he said, but this is what I'm hoping he says behind the scenes, which is basically like, look, we've screwed up the draft. I- I've lost my way a little bit. I've lost my touch. You know, here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to rely on your work in the first four rounds and, and go back to that because you guys have been studying these guys. Um, and we're going to use that as the backbone, not my own whisper network among college coaches and things like that because I think it's it's led to like, you know, you know, Nick, I could tell you this right now. Um, there's not a lot of enthusiasm for Anthony Jennings behind the scenes with the Patriots. You know, uh, they just, they don't think he's very good. They don't think he can run. They don't think there's any sort of role for him on this team. And why did Belichick draft him? Saban. He was Nick's favorite, Nick Saban's favorite player on Alabama. Yep. And like that kind of stuff can't go on anymore. When you're, dra- when you're drafting that guy and you're passing up, you know, offensive options that you could have had for a pet project. Like that's what we're talking about. Like, right, that so can't from, go on anymore. From your conversations, I've got to ask you from the last few minutes, your conversations about, you know, what, what's going to happen this off season and Belichick is finally realizing reality and what's going on here. Was this a Belichick epiphany or was this a, a concerted effort by some people behind the scenes, like the crafts and others to say McDaniels, Casario, Hey, Bill, We've lost our way. We got to get our ass back on the track. It was it was Belichick's slow realization over the course of the season, and I probably since you know I think we could sort of lo- draw the line of demarcation with this season. The first Bills victory, uh, victory, um, sort of brought everything home and was like, oh crap! And and you know even though they were close in that game, 
I think because that right after that is when Bill did the I think the serious NFL uh, radio interview, and then it was EI and things like that. And I think that's when Bill came to the realization like, shit, we're not just we're not very good, and the Bills are a lot better than us. And how did we get? I think he started thinking about those things, and it's and it's been an epiphany. But so, you know, getting back to the question. Um, I don't have a lot of information on um, sort of the success of the late round picks, um, you know, and also the undrafted free agents. Now the undrafted free agents, that is the realm of scouts. You know, those guys, when it comes to basically these guys are like, all right, well, you know, and Belichick's involved. He helps prioritize. All right. You know, we want this guy. We want that guy. Um, You know, like Scooter Harris, that linebacker from, I think, Arizona got the biggest signing bonus, and I'm sure Belichick had a lot to do with that. Now I think he's in Green Bay. Yeah, He didn't make the team. He didn't show very well. Now he's in Green Bay. And actually, I think he played the other day. Um, but basically, it's the, the, the NFL scouts, like, you know, they identify guys. They'll keep in touch with the agents. And then, you know, once they're drafted over, it's, it's a free-for-all. And basically, you're going by relationships. Like, guys are, you know, agents are saying, oh, well, well you know, where are you going to have a chance to play and things like that. But the scouts do a lot of that work, and I think that the Patri- because the Patriots have hit on so many undrafted free agents, um, you know, J.C. J- Jackson among them, and also, uh, you know, I think Miles Bryant is going to be another guy who's going to show really well. Jacoby Myers. Um, those are the realms of the scouts. So I, I, those guys you can definitely point to and say the scouts have a big influence, and I think, I think Bill – uh, I, I think Bill's had an epiphany that he needs to he needs to get things back on course and he needs to go back to relying on people to guess what? Do your job. And those people are doing their job. Bill needs to let them do their job and help him do his job. Well, that's uh, I think that's fantastic news for Patriots fans. Yeah. It, it gives them hope. And listen, I mean, the next few weeks, you and I, this is going to be a crazy podcast because this offseason is going to be fun. It's going to be fascinating. There's so many dominoes to fall. This is a huge puzzle that's going to be put together. We will do our best job to do that. He's Greg Bedard. I'm Nick Cattles. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review to the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles. We start the off-season talk next time. Until then, be safe, be good, and be healthy.